Hello and welcome to the Doctor Who Show's hot take of Revolution of the Daleks. It's 2021 and I'm sitting here with my co-host, Dave. Hi Rob, it's Dave here. <laughs> yes, it is. Um, yes, no, we, we, are, we are ready to do our hot take on the 2nd of January special. We certainly are. We've both watched it this morning. I watched mine, I mean, it dropped around 7am on iView, Dave. I watched mine, gosh, maybe about 9am to 10am. When did you watch it? I was about 10 o'clock when I started watching, I reckon. Okay, so I was about an hour ahead of you, but neither of us leapt out of bed at 7am, it seems. No, I mean, I, I did sort of... I actually slept very badly, and I was awake at about 6.30, and I thought, no, I'm going to try and actually get some sleep, not get, get out of here and just to watch Doctor Who in a grumpy, foul, unslept mood. So I uh, did a couple of things and then just eased down to watch it at my leisure. Yeah, I knew I wouldn't be in great shape when I looked at the time, and it was 2am and I was still watching YouTube videos, so <laughs> <laughs> that's my excuse. Fair enough. The point is, though, we have watched it, and we've watched it in the last hour or so. We have, and we usually start these shows, I mean, gosh, it's been a while since we've done one, we start with a word of the week, Dave. Well, my word of the week is brittle. Brittle, okay. My word of the week is dyke. Okay. <laughs> Where do we go from there? Well, I guess I'll start off... By asking you, Rob, did you enjoy Revolution of the Daleks? Broadly, Dave, yes. When I look through the notes that I'm going to talk about here, all my quibbles are relatively minor with it. The story, I think, on the whole hung together and had some good moments. But I'll add here, before the spoiler curtain comes down, that it never felt quite as big or epic as it maybe could have been. I would definitely agree with that last comment you made. Did I enjoy this? Hmm. It depends on how I'm judging it. As a piece of television to sit on the couch and just kind of let it wash over me, it, it was perfectly good, perfectly adequate. I, I got to the end without any problems. It was it was fine. But when I look at my notes, there are episodes of television, there are episodes of Doctor Who where you watch it, you think it's fine, and as you sort of think about it more, a lot of it starts to sort of fall apart a bit. Mm-hmm. This This one was falling apart as I was watching it, and a lot of my notes unfortunately are to that effect but there was some good stuff in here there is there is definitely a uh, a play of the week and a player of the week that we will be talking about when we get to the sports desk so it's it's certainly not a, a, a i certainly didn't hate it yeah but i don't have strong positive emotions either okay well let's bring that spoiler curtain down and here we are dave in spoiler territory i've got some thoughts that may dovetail very well with yours do you want to lead off with anything first though well i think let's just explore the really big point which is one that you mentioned and i kind of hinted at in our opening mm-hmm. which is i am putting this episode on a very long list of doctor who specials that did not need to be 70 minutes and in fact would have benefited from being 50 minutes i can go along with that I felt it moved reasonably well, but I did find it was about the... It might have been the 50-minute mark. I actually stopped it and went and made a uh, sandwich, <laughs> if that's any indication of things. Well, I, I made a couple of notes here. It's nine minutes before the Doctor arrives in the episode. Mm-hmm. It's 11 minutes before the Companions arrive in the episode. And then it's 21 minutes before the Dalek mutant comes out and actually starts doing bad stuff. So I actually felt that it sort of took 21 minutes of what really could have been a teaser in a normal episode. Yeah, you're right there. It's that opening where I might bring up an example of one of my quibbles. Again, these are relatively minor, but this annoyed me as soon as I saw it. It was poisoning the driver of the truck, Dave. 
And you're wondering how the driver knew to stop over at exactly the right truck stop to get murdered? <laughs> yes, how yes. did they know which fast food stand to, to either set up or to infiltrate? Indeed, he only mentions that he's going to get tea just before he leaves. So what are the logistics there for the bad guys? Uh, you know, guys, he's getting tea, infiltrate every fast food stand on the highway. You know, and how quickly could that be done? <laughs> what if he got his tea before he left the base? It's, it's a tiny thing. Again, yes, yes, yes. But it stuck in my mind for about five or ten minutes afterwards. It just didn't convince me that that was plausible. <laughs> You are absolutely not, not alone on that, Rob. That really, really annoyed me. And it's so <laughs> it's so simply fixed. Like, it could have been that he went, he got the tea, and when he got back to the cab of the truck, there was a baddie waiting for him and took him out there and then. And that would have made sense because the baddie would have been trailing him, sorry, pulled over, stopped, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Or the lady said, look, thanks for your help. I've made you some tea for the journey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Even simpler. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a little bit... As I said, some of these things sort of fell apart, not even sort of looking back and going, that didn't work. They, I was watching them and going, that doesn't work. Yeah. Another quick one from me uh, before we go back to you. Jack broke her out of jail. I called that on a recent episode. And the jail was just a starting off point. We both called that on our last monthly episode. So there was some real predictability going on in places. And they never called the jail Sharder either, I don't think. No, they didn't, which which was a shame. Let's, let's talk about the jail and, and the effects because... You and I were both right that it was going to be very early on in the episode that it was resolved. Yes. But it was a number of decades of the Doctor's timeline for it to happen. I very, very much liked the depiction of the jail. I thought it looked very good. It was very clever. Obviously, they ticked off various different uh, monsters. I noted down an angel, an ood, a pating, and a silence. Mm-hmm. Um, and something that looked like Megalos in the background. I don't know if it was. or It could have been a Varga plant. I'm not sure. So yeah, I thought I thought it visually looked very good. I thought the way the Doctor was dealing with it was kind of good. But there is a moment where I sat there and said, can the Doctor not escape? Mm. And it, it's... I don't know if I'm being overly critical or thinking this through, but I was trying to imagine John Pertwee or Tom Baker trapped in a jail. And the idea of them just not being able to escape doesn't seem as though it would ever happen. And I... I don't know if it diminishes Jodie's doctor that she couldn't, I, and she had to wait for Jack to rescue her. I just don't know. Mm. Or even someone like Eggleston, like, ah, oh, I'm not having this, you know? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I'm, absolutely. I'm getting out of here. Yeah, or, you know, Smith would have had a very long, wanky speech about how, you know, you, you don't trap me, I'm the great oncoming storm, and everybody fears me. Well, that's so, you know, he would have had yeah. one of those speeches. Um, yeah, look me up in your computer. Yes, you know, and Jodie was just sort of like, oh, I guess I'm trapped. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I'm overthinking it, but that that did strike me. But as I said, I I liked the scenes, but I thought that was a weakness. Not fair. It's all part of the story. It's there. Cloning the Dalek. Have you got any notes on that? I do. Well, you you, you take the lead then, Rob. Okay. This was uh, another moment I got taken out of the episode, albeit only initially, because I'm thinking, yeah, sure, you can you can clone a Dalek, but how does it know to be a Dalek? Where does it learn from? You know, you think of that movie, The Boys from Brazil, where they've cloned Hitler. You know, they know the kids will have to be shaped in a certain way as they grow up, or they've got no chance of being Hitler, which is the whole plan, because y- you really need to be uh, nurtured into what you become as an adult. And so I'm thinking, well, how does this work with the Dalek? Like, yeah, okay, you can clone it, tick, but 
how does it work? Happily, though, they covered it later on with a line where they explained that Dalek DNA somehow has everything encoded. You know, how to think, how to speak, how to know what you are, how to know what to do. You know, I guess how to know how to operate a Dalek war machine. It's all magically in the DNA. It did get covered off in the end, but initially I was like, oh, how does this work? Yeah, it's really interesting you bring that up, Rob, because I, I had a couple of thoughts and... The first one was exactly that one that you had, like, well, DNA doesn't mean they can do that. And then I sort of said, well, it's Doctor Who, okay, whatever. Um, And then I thought, well, maybe that's going to be the point. Maybe this is going to be what happens when you create something that is genetically a Dalek, but hasn't had the upbringing of a Dalek or doesn't know it's a Dalek. Maybe that's where it's sort of going to go. And that could be very interesting. It obviously wasn't. Uh, But look, look, (laughs) we, we do on this show criticize when they don't cover stuff like this with a line so mm. the, fa- the fact they did exactly what we always asked them to do i thought actually you know big tick praise you know they they saw that was a bit of a pr- plot line and they covered it with a line and yep credit to them it worked yep good stuff uh anything from you i've still got more to come <laughs> i want to talk a bit about the whole robertson prime minister plot line okay I thought the performance of the Prime Minister, and I haven't had time to look up the actress's name, but she's very recognisable and I'm going to be shouted out for not knowing her name off the top of my head. <laughs> but she, she is a very, very capable actress and she did portray it very, very well. I thought Robertson, Chris Noth, was, was fine. Um, and I'm sure we'll talk a bit more about him as we go on. Yeah. I, I wrote down here, though, that they are, they are desperately trying to do a political thriller corruption plot. And I don't think they quite knew what they were doing there in Mm. that they needed a set of beats to get the drone Daleks into the position they needed them to be. And they couldn't quite work out if this Secretary of State who becomes Prime Minister is massively corrupt. Is she the baddie? Is is this a uh, allegory of something? Or is she just a very pragmatic politician who sees a chance for a deal Mm. um and then then she was exterminated and for a very important part of the plot in an episode that had time to spare they seemed to do it very quickly i don't know quite what they were thinking whether they sat there and they said hey let's let's make this politician a little bit sort of dodgy and corrupt because everyone hates politicians these days and you know Mm. we'll sort of do that they they, they kind of half-heartedly did it all whether they were just the pragmatic beats that they needed to get you know where they said you know and and in some ways like she was just a very normal politician saying hey somebody's got a product that works for me politically and i can do a deal and then she did the the the, the whole thing so that she didn't have to pay for them and i thought okay that's mm. fair enough but she's also the one that betrayed the location of the original dalek and got someone killed you know not directly and and even as i think about it like robertson sort of in that sense goes from being this kind of bumbling businessman to guy who is willing to have agents that get someone murdered horribly on the motorway yeah that the, the more i think about it that whole bit just doesn't quite sit with the two of them i'm i'm, I'm sorry listeners i'm kind of rambling here because i'm i'm literally forming these thoughts as we discuss it but i thought they were very half-hearted on the how bad and how corrupt these people were and as a result they were kind of neither and that doesn't work yeah, another thing that didn't work is when she announced that, you know, this is at no cost to the taxpayer. Well, wouldn't the journalists be all over that and say, well, what's the deal there? <laughs> How are you getting this stuff for free? Yeah. Mm, weird. Brief one for me. The TARDIS looked amazing with the lights turned off. 
and without those weird crystals all lit up yellow. Yeah, <laughs> and when I you, noticed when you can't see it, the TARDIS looks great. Yeah, and I noticed even when they were lit up, they filmed away from them a lot. I think they know they look. Uh, it was still too much of them for me. Um, and there were there were lots of there were lots of interesting close ups. They they spent a lot of time. Uh, the director spent a lot of time doing close ups of Jodie, very dramatic close ups of the Doctor. Mm. Often that was around the the TARDIS central column, and so there was a lot of that in there. And I thought that that did stand out. Um, but yeah, when you can't see the console room, it looks a lot better. Yeah, agree. Uh, lines written just for the trailer. Uh, I've got an example here. Yaz and Jack, they really seem to like each other's company and she enjoys his stories and, you know, he, he, he said something to her and then, like, you know, tweaked her on the chin and it's like they're getting along really great. And then the next line was, are you always so insecure you need a lot of praise? And it just fell so flat for me because they'd been getting along until that point. Like, if they'd been bitching back and forth and then that line came in, great. But it was like it was shoehorned in there just to be, oh, this will be great in the trailer. That didn't fit for me there at all. No, and the other example that really stood out was the uh, I've really missed that sound. Yes. Which just, you sit there, that, that was a really weird comment. And yeah, that only existed for the trailer. Yeah. <laughs> now, Rob. Yes. Uh, we have had some ongoing banter and friendly competition between us mm-hmm. about the nature of the Daleks in this story. Yes. And... It turns out we were both right. <laughs> uh, there you, you, go. you were certainly right in that that leaked uh, photo from the filming some months ago of the Dalek turned out to not be a fake and turned out to actually be a real Dalek, and it was in mm-hmm. in the story. Yes. Once it'd been proved that I was wrong that they were, this was just a fake, and I'd, I'd hoped it was, but it wasn't. Um, and and <laughs> let me say they did look a lot better on screen, lit up properly, doing what they yes. did. That, that 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 certainly looked a lot better than that photo we saw months ago. But I speculated that maybe these aren't going to be the real, in inverted commas, Daleks. They'll be a sort of a, um, a constructed thing or a fake thing or a, a, an interim thing. And then mm. the real Daleks will come and take over. And that's exactly what happened. These were man-made, man-built Daleks based off the survival 3D Daleks. printed. 3D printed by a laser. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yep. <laughs> yeah, that was a cool effect. That was cool. Yeah, they were they were man-made Daleks that, in the end, were just there for a while, and then the real Daleks came and did real Dalek stuff. So we can say we were both right. Did did that whole plot concept work for you? I actually liked it. Yeah, I, yeah, I thought it wasn't bad. You know, uh, the the way those Daleks started exterminating people in the street. Uh, and, the, and the Prime Minister ran out of 10 down the street saying, I think it's teething problems. <laughs> you know, there was some fun stuff there. You know, I, I can't fault that. I, I thought that was fine. Yeah, that was probably the biggest strength of the episode, in fact. I, I did think that this design, look, I don't think it beats the classic Dalek design. I was pleased when the Bronze Daleks turned back up because I think that they are the definitive modern Dalek design. But I mm. thought they looked pretty good. They looked very effective. I liked the fact that they were built genuinely as purpose-built for the security things in that they they had, you know, a water cannon. They had a tear gas cannon. They didn't have a, you know, exterminating blaster. No. It, it, it would have been a big problem if they'd said, oh, we've well, exactly copied this. We've got this for crowd control. And by the way, it exterminates people. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, that wouldn't have worked. I was very grateful that they did they didn't make it realistic. And then obviously we found out that the, the, the Dalek had changed the, the course of them. And I also was quite impressed, particularly for Chibnall Who, that they massacred like it must have been thousands and thousands of people who got killed yeah. 
in, yeah. in in the half hour hour or so that it took the doctor to start dealing with that. Now, I suspect if this was a normal episode in a season, or particularly if it was a season finale, that would have been made a bigger deal of. And I think that because this is a holiday special, they they did it, and it was good, it was dramatic, and it was exciting, but they kind of pulled away from the whole, you know, thousands of people have been killed, the fallout's going to change humanity, yeah. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I thought they did pull back from that because it was a holiday special. Yeah. Question without notice. Yeah. Do you think it would have been too on the nose if the government had designed these as, like, armour plating for humans and we actually had humans getting in and out of the Daleks, like a Dalek operator would get in and out of a Dalek? Would that just be too on the nose? That's an interesting idea, actually. I, I, yeah, I don't know. Um, it, it, it's certainly an interesting idea. I don't think it would have been too on the nose. I just it would have complicated the episode, perhaps. Yeah, with the way the the creatures had to take over the machines and such. I guess. Yeah, yeah, but no, that's that's an interesting idea. But yeah, no, I thought that plot line was probably the the strength of the episode and the one that I enjoyed the most. Mm. So two little points from me. The first is that have have people not heard of Daleks? Like haven't we had the Daleks invade Earth often enough in the last 20 years that mm. people would recognise them. I, I thought that was interesting. Um, and also just, I did note that we had a reasonably high, well, we had a very high Chibnall death count in this one, if you count all the background artists who got exterminated. Uh, Chibnall, though, is again doing his thing of giving soon-to-die people family. Yes. Uh, you know, we, we saw that the truck driver had an elderly mother or grandmother, I think it was, uh, we saw that Leo had a family and a wife and all the rest of that that he got to say goodbye to. Not good, not bad, just a very chibnall thing. I noticed that his trademarks were definitely there, uh, as were a couple of others that I will be talking about later. Alrighty, well, shall we talk uh, characters? Bit of character analysis now. We should, we should. I've got extensive notes on everybody. Where do we want to kick off? Look, let's let's start with the baddie, then let's go to Jack as the guest, and then let's do the companions of the Doctor. Alrighty. Jack Robertson, I felt here, was way more likeable than he was in Arachnids, if I can call it likeable. You know, I, I made a note that when Chibnall's not trying to do his, <laughs> look how clever I am, this man's meant to be Trump. <laughs> you know, the character is actually quite good and he worked for me. And lines like, you know, where'd you get the purchase orders? <laughs> and, you know, can I make a claim on my insurance? All of that was really genuinely funny. The only bit that didn't really work for me with Jack Robertson was the betrayal. Uh, it felt really cliche that the bad guy would betray them and the whole take me to your leader cliche and all of that. I would have liked something a bit more organic, like the TARDIS. Something went wrong with the TARDIS and it, it revealed itself to the Daleks. They all turned around and went, ah, the Doctor's here. It didn't really need Jack Robertson to betray them. Yeah, so I thought that he was very well portrayed for the most part. I agree with you about the problem. He, and this is kind of what I was talking about earlier, for the most part he's kind of portrayed as, I won't say bumbling businessman, but kind of, you know, not corrupt, a bit dodgy, basically a nice guy, you know, mm. kind of thrown at the, at the deep end. He had some funny lines, he was kind of all the rest of that. And I thought, yeah, look, look that works. Uh, and then, yeah, then suddenly he's portraying the whole of humanity. Mm. And it was... Like, where did that come from? Yeah. And then he's back to kind of like, you know, just the, the bumbling, well, I kind of just, you know, did what I did and I'm a hero now. Like, what? Yeah. Um, 
So the writing of him, like, line by line was really good. The writing of him as a through character over 70 minutes was just all over the shop, but yeah. mostly saved because I think that the actor stuck to one tone, which was that kind of bumbling, not quite perfect, but not quite evil businessman. And so the portrayal was more consistent than the writing, perhaps. Definitely. And for you as well, more likable than Arachnids? Yeah, definitely more believable and realistic than Arachnids, I thought. Absolutely. Yeah. And I guess open to be back. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> well, I mean, he, he put it this way, he can be back if they want him back. Yeah, very true. Uh, Jack Harkness. I'm always very pleased when John Barrowman as Jack Harkness is back on screen because mm-hmm. I love the character, I love the portrayal. I thought he did a really good job here. I thought that the banter between him and the Doctor was just pitched right. It wasn't too forced. Likewise, his banter with the companions, in fact, you know, that it, it wasn't even as forced as his cameo in Fugitive of the Jadoon and just little lines like the Hey Silver Fox, um, you know, just, just <laughs> done and away with and not made a big deal of and, and Bradley Walsh's reaction to that was perfect. Yes. Uh, he, he, yeah, he, he was critical to the plot. He worked very well with Yaz. Basically had disappeared by the end, but I mm. guess Three Companions plus Jack plus the baddie and the Doctor, of course, does mean that people are going to move move to the background. And and he did, and he, he, he disappeared in voiceover. Yeah, that was weird, actually. That was weird. I don't know whether there, something happened with the filming or he, he couldn't be somewhere or, or what. Could, could that have been the insert that we heard about? Maybe, maybe they completely forgot to do something with Jack, and I thought, well, we need we need to have him say goodbye in voiceover. I don't know, but no, a, a positive part of the episode for me. Okay, I agree. It was great to see him back again. His hair looked much better than the last time we saw him, and he was in focus this time, which was a bonus as well. Um, <laughs> he had he had plenty to do. Uh, he displayed that he's that hand solo action man who you can just send to blow something up. He's on the on the ace side of the companion equation, which very few companions genuinely are. So, you know, it's a delight having a fellow like him back. Can I, just, can I just jump in there and say, it yeah. did feel like the initial conception of the character to to be the muscle the Doctor couldn't be. Yes, yes, absolutely. You know, so I think, I think the writing had him nailed. But I will say throughout it all, he still felt a bit guest starry to me, not organically Doctor Who. I know that must sound weird because he is a guest star, but he didn't feel like he quite fit with this era or this team, maybe. I definitely had a moment when I was watching him and Yaz and I thought, that's right, Jack was in season one. Yeah. <laughs> like this, he he's probably the biggest through character. Well, he must be the biggest through character in the whole of New Who. Oh, and, in New Who, certainly. Yeah, yeah. and, and, and you're, you're right. He he definitely at times felt like an RTD character in, in Chibnall Who, but that's okay. Yeah, oh, look, it was fine. and I, I just love seeing him back. I, I love the character. I loved having him back. It was great. It, it is perhaps a cautionary tale, though, that bringing people back from long, long ago actually doesn't always work because the, the show does change its tone and the show does evolve. And, mm. you know, John Barrowman can pull it off. Others maybe can't. And, and so, you know, yeah, I, yeah, I'll leave it there. Okay. Uh, let's talk about Yaz, and, and I'll lead off here. She was given more to do than usual. What a surprise. And like the finale of Series 12, her tyres continued to get pumped in this episode. 
I guess when the episode begins, she's the true believer in the Doctor. She's the one doing all the research. Later on, there was this line like, oh, she's good. And it was a no-brainer that she'd be the one to go to Japan with Jack and so on. You know, without the knowledge that she's kicking off Series 13 as the sole companion, this might work. But because we've been watching two series where she's been the third wheel and hardly ever used her policing skills and, and all of that stuff, and now suddenly at the end of last series and here to just get pump up after pump up, it still felt a bit unearned and a bit fake in places. She's certainly got more to do, and that's positive. The idea that she's the first to volunteer is something that really started to emerge at the end of the last series and was carried on here and, and, and it's happened now probably enough that we can actually call it a character trait and it, and it doesn't feel forced so when she said I'm going to Japan I thought okay yeah that's that's fair enough and, and particularly given the development the other characters had had mm. I, I, I get that she was the one who who hadn't readapted to life on earth over 10 months she, she hadn't let go there were hints at her attachment to the Doctor being deeper in some ways than perhaps the others and, and perhaps I took that as a reflection that she didn't have the family Ryan and Graham both had things that attached them to their own life back in Sheffield, and she didn't, mm. which is an interesting idea, but it doesn't gel with what we've seen, and it does feel as though they're doing a bit of a soft reboot of the character in that sense. Because she's the one continuing. Because she's the one continuing. Um, yeah. I thought that she worked better with Jack than she did with the Doctor. Yeah, yeah. funnily enough. Funnily I enough, really yeah. did enjoy them together. You know, do, do you remember, I mentioned earlier where he sort of tweaked her on the chin. It was, it was really nice. Uh, yeah, no, it was it was a nice moment. I thought that was a very strong dynamic. Hmm. Ryan or Graham? Who do you want to discuss next? Oh, uh, look, I'll I'll discuss Ryan. Okay. Who I thought thematically carried a lot of this episode, and I thought Tosin Cole gave the performances that I was praising him for, going all the way back to the woman who fell to earth, mm-hmm. um, and perhaps we didn't see consistently through the last two series, but I thought that. Given stuff to, to do, Tolson Cole really fires. And, and you fired here. I totally believed him. He didn't have a lot to do uh, in terms of the plot, but he had a lot to do in terms of the morality of the episode, in terms of the tone of the episode. And I certainly could see him getting ready to leave the Doctor throughout the episode. And that felt like an organic, natural thing for him to do, as opposed to some companions in new and old Doctor Who where they get to the end of their contract and there's 10 minutes to go and it's like, oh, I guess I'm leaving you now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like, I, what? <laughs> I, I thought that he, he, he worked very, very well with this. My notes say uh, that he always had promise across the two series. I think we agree on that. Yeah. Never quite delivered on it a lot, though. <laughs> um, and that's not his fault. He can only do what's written on the page from script to script. And with him leaving, I guess, it's true that he didn't do a lot in terms of the actual plot, but he did get that big two-hander scene with the Doctor uh, explaining life to her. Yeah. Um, (laughs) If this had been him explaining it to Yaz, or the child guest star of the week, if we'd had one of those, or whatever, I think this might have paid off big time. Even delivering it to Graham, you know, who's a man with decades more experience, would have felt a bit off. Mm. But explaining life to a thousand-year-old Time Lord who's seen the beginning and end of the universe and had a million experiences that Ryan's never had, it felt a little weird. I know that the message and the emotions might carry some people through, maybe even a lot of people through. But for me, giving this kind of advice to the Doctor seemed weird on one level, given how much more experienced and worldly she is, and it kind of lessened her in a way. 
to me at least, that this young kid had to explain life to her. The doctor, I think, should be giving this sort of advice to the companions and not vice versa. Um, you're, mm. you're right. It could have worked better had it been a more of a conversation than a monologue. It is something we have seen before, though, in that the doctor wants nothing more than to explore the universe and doesn't understand that there comes a time when people want to settle. And, and I mm. thought that her being reminded of that worked well, and and and, oh, and okay. did go do it well, um, because I think that, that that is a trait of the Doctor that the Doctor sometimes forgets about the, the 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 normalities of life that we require that she doesn't, and so I did did mm. take it in there. I agree though that the Doctor's half of the conversation or the Doctor's reaction to the conversation could have been stronger. Okay, I might watch that with it with a different eye uh, next time. Yeah, yeah, just just how I took it. Yeah. All right, which which leaves Graham and the Doctor. I guess we'll we'll take Graham. So um, so he was in this, was he? <laughs> well, my notes here say this is the saddest of all the cast members to report on. You know, after he stole the show in the first series, they really pulled him back in the second series, and here it's like he's barely in it. So yes, I agree there, Dave. I mean, he he got called Granddad right at the end, which is something I predicted in probably our first or second hot take of series you, 11. You did, yes. <laughs> I said, it's going to end with Tosin calling him granddad. Oh, yeah. And, and yeah, it did happen. And so that was a moment, but it was tiny. In terms of the episode itself, he was barely there. To me, it's almost like Jack Harkness took Ryan's action man stuff and Ryan took Graham's wise comments to the Doctor stuff. And then with Yaz grabbing everything else in sight, poor old Bradley Walsh was left with next to nothing, which is a shame because he's been my go-to throughout this TARDIS team's time together. I don't think there's any doubt that Bradley Walsh's Graham has been the breakout star of the two years of Jodie's Doctor so far. Mm. I don't think there's any doubt about that at all. He's proved to be a very, very capable actor. And... Very quickly, I think the production team, particularly Chibnall, worked out that that was the case. They worked out what they got. They'd worked out the audience related to him. And they fed him, particularly in that first series, they fed him moments like that. As you say, they pulled him back in the second series. But the moments he did have were, you know, let's give Bradley Walsh a classic Bradley Walsh moment that we know he's going to hit out of the park and it's mm. going, to, you know, going to tick all the boxes. So... He had less to do, but but did it very well. In in this one, had you taken Bradley Walsh out of the plot, I don't think it changes anything at all. I think that he was there to be with Ryan or with Jack or whatever. Mm. He, he didn't get to do anything, I don't think, with the Doctor in any serious way. Not that I recall. No, not that I recall. I, I thought that... Look, look again, uh, as we've been saying now for two seasons of Hot Takes... There are only so many minutes of television in an episode and therefore only so many minutes you can give to the characters. And if you're bigging up Yaz and if you're giving stuff to Jack and if you're trying to give a bit to to, to Ryan, in the end, there's just nothing left for Graham to do. And I will say that I love the idea that he left to be a granddad to Ryan. I thought that was a very Graham decision to make. Mm -hmm. And I thought it felt very true to the character. Um, Is it a little bit undramatic? Yes, uh, could it have been a bit more affecting? Probably. Mm. Did he nail the moment? Absolutely. But it's a real shame that his last episode, he was barely in and just forgettable. Yeah, and uh, we may talk a little more about that later, but no spoilers. Uh, just leaves the Doctor. Uh, Dave, do you want to lead on this one? Like I've had with a lot of this episode, lots of qualified highs and lows with the Doctor. I thought that this is, again, a very strong performance from Jodie Whittaker. 
mm-hmm. she had a couple of moments that I thought were really good. She had, she had a moment with Jack that I thought was very powerful. She had a moment with Yaz that I thought was very powerful. I thought that her moment with Ryan was good, but Ryan was the star of that. The performance was good. I'm not sure that the character was that great. I think mm. that having done all that timeless child stuff and then putting you into prison... I mean, why was she in prison? From a, from a series point of view, mm. maybe it's going to come back in, in series 13, but if the Doctor hadn't been in prison for the 10 minutes at the start of the episode, was, was she just there so Jack could break her out? I guess it gave her time to think on what had happened and maybe get it out of her system so she wasn't talking about it every few minutes. But, but we didn't get that. Well, I think she's done all that thinking in jail. So Off screen. So is putting her in prison a way to not have to deal with what they did in the last episode? Very probably, I want to say. <laughs> because, yeah, there were, there, were, there were a couple of little moments of, you know, I, I wasn't sure who I was now. And I would have liked to see not necessarily more of her in prison in terms of time, but something that at least acknowledged what she'd been through. If we're going to have massive revelations of the timeless child, and you know, given that, set aside that I don't like those, and I'm, I'm happy to erase them from, from my memory, mm. but if the show's going to do that and then put the Doctor in prison, maybe you, you even need a moment of, I don't want to be rescued, or you know, maybe Jack says to her, I'm amazed you to get out of here yourself, and she says, actually, this is what I needed. I needed time to think. And mm-hmm. the time got away with... I don't know. And to, to just have a couple of very, very blink-can-you-miss-it kind of underwhelming... I, I'm not sure who I am anymore. But all that was there just so she could then say later, I know who I am, I'm the Doctor, and I fight the Daleks. Yeah. Um, and and, mm. and even, her, even her decision to bring in cane toads to deal with the cane bugs... Um, which is kind of what I felt like the Death Squad thing was. Mm. Remember when Eccleston made an, was, was going to make an impossible decision, a dodgy decision uh, with, with Jack, and how powerful that was. And this just sort of felt like it. I was never sold that this was a tough call for the Doctor to make. So look, I've, I, I, again, apologies. I've rambled a little as I put my thoughts together in a hot take. Performance, excellent. Character writing, poor. Okay. For me, she didn't do anything, you know, too weird or out of character. And she had a few scenes with some spine. There was one where she ordered everyone into the TARDIS. And I thought, oh, she's taken charge. She's She, she is in charge. Oh, wow. Fantastic. You know, that was all good. Yep. But still, I have this same old feeling with her that there's not a lot of character in play. And other people seem to see it. So I don't know whether they're putting together some random stuff and justifying it as her personality or... Or whether she's just Teflon coded to me and I just can't get close to her. But even here, with little to actually complain about, about the character, I still don't get her. No, and I think you've said slightly more succinctly what I was saying in a rambling way. Well done. Mm. Um, <laughs> this is why we're a team. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, no, you're right. I think, I think that Jodie's performing very, very well. I don't think they quite know what her character is. And... I thought that maybe they were going to define her better off the back of what they did in the last series. Perhaps they're just putting that off because this is a fun New Year's Day special and we're going to see more of it. I hope we're not going to get too much agony from the Doctor. I I don't like the Doctor being introspective. I like the Doctor having adventures. So, yeah, mixed thoughts from me. Well, on that note, shall we go to the sports desk? I'm ready. Okay.
So here we are at the sports desk, Dave. <laughs> a bit dusty from last time we were here, <laughs> but uh, this is where we do Player of the Week, Foul of the Week, and MVP of the Week, dear listener. And uh, gosh, what should we start with, Dave? Play, foul, or MVP? Look, let, let's go in the traditional order. So we'll start with play. All right. My Player of the Week, Dave, was letting the Daleks onto the TARDIS. I thought, oh, wow, look at them all flying in there. How, how is this going to play out? This is nuts. What what plan is in play here? And the payoff was genuinely good because I'd forgotten about the other TARDIS. And although, yeah, it made for a, a very quick and very neat resolution, I'll still pay it. It worked for me. No, that's a really good one because I, I totally agree. I did have a moment of how do they get out of that one? Where's this going? And then when they did the twist, I was like, oh, that's quite clever. And and yeah. it totally worked for me in a in a very simple, straightforward episode. It was a very, you know, straightforward but clever resolution. So that's a really good nomination. I am going to go for the scene in Osaka where the Dalek mutants escaped from their tape, tanks and attacked uh, Jack and Yaz because at that stage, I was sort of sitting there, you know, enjoying it well enough, but kind of sitting back in the couch, you know, not not hugely engaged. You know, this, this wasn't the last episode of The Mandalorian where I'm, I'm sitting at the front of my couch with a big grin on my face going, wow, I was like, yeah, okay, this is fun. And then suddenly you had this dark lighting and you had mutants jumping towards the camera and they're, they're yeah. on Jack or on Yasser. Oh, okay, this is a bit, this is a bit better. This is a bit more exciting. That was a scene that really made me sit up and pay attention, take notice and was very well filmed. So that was mine. Yeah, when it had them both, I'm thinking, Christ, it's got Jack on the face, it's got Yaz on the back. Oh, wow, you know, is the TARDIS going to have to show up to save them? But no, they got out of it okay. Uh, And again, that's the Han Solo side to Jack Harkness. Yeah, I thought that both the characters gained credibility for being able to get out of it. I think it would have been a shame if the Doctor had had to rescue them. So, yeah, that was a really strong scene for me and one that I think will stand out in my memory of this episode. All right, Dave, your foul of the week. My foul of the week, I've got a line... Mm. Let me let me pull my page up. I can hear it. You're feeding clone Daleks liquidized humans. <laughs> well, yes, we know that. You've just shown us that. You've literally had the. We're not stupid. You don't need to tell us everything, Chris Chibnall. And I just thought this is this is the return of the worst aspect of Chibnall's writing. It was there with some long explanation scenes and. Oftentimes we didn't need it or we needed a line and we got a conversation, but it was summed up for me by that whole, just so you haven't worked it out, audience, these are a bunch of clone Daleks and yes, they're being fed liquidized humans, so now it's really obvious for you boys and girls. Oh my (laughs) God, that was terrible. I have nothing to add to that. I'm in full agreement. (laughs) Yeah. My foul of the week. Uh, We're returning to a theme we've already touched on. It was Graham not getting a bigger slice of the pie or anything much to do at all. Very fair. You know, being the companion who who arguably surprised the most people, delighted the most people, was the most standout, even though he was written down in the second series, to go out in this very quiet, very muted way was strange. There was no further mention of his cancer. There was no blaze of glory saving Ryan. Uh, I think you're saving Private Ryan there from him <laughs> getting distracted. He he said the um, he had a line, you know. Oh, you said we'd change, and you know we've changed, and that echoed nicely back to the start of his time on the show. But let's be honest, it wasn't one of the great farewells on Doctor Who. No, I think that that's another very fair nomination, and Bradley Walsh 
did not get the outing that I think he deserved. And frankly, I don't think he got the outing that we all expected him to get. No. Uh, and, and indeed, when you listen to our January episode, you hear our um, guest takes on this episode, uh, you'll find we were very wrong on that one. Wow, I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> uh, which brings us, Rob, to a positive note. And who was your MVP of this episode? I think there can only be one, Dave. It's John Barrowman. <laughs> He was my number two. Oh, no! <laughs> well, for me, it was it was John Barham. It was Jack Harkness. What's left to say that we haven't already said? He's the hand solo. He's, he's love and lust and spice and everything nice. He's just great. And it was good to see him back. No, I agree with all of that. And if I'd been doing this halfway through the episode, I absolutely would have given it to Jack. Uh, he did fade away into the background a bit later on, which meant that he he lost some points there. And I've given it to Jodie Whittaker. Okay. Because I think that given all that she had to do in this episode, given that she wasn't written very well in this episode, I think she still made the Doctor the leader of this episode. When she did have those two-handed scenes with Jack, with Yaz, she absolutely made them work. When she had that, that one-on-one with, with Ryan, again, Ryan was the star of that scene, but her reactions to it were believable and made it work and I thought a, a lesser actress actually would have been quite bad with that script and, okay. and she made it work and I will give Jodie points for doing that I can absolutely understand that well that ends the sports desk David just leaves us to talk about our, our word of the week well yours was the more mysterious so let's save that for last <laughs> okay <laughs> uh, my word of the week was brittle and yes. that, that is, there's nothing particularly complicated or nuanced about that one. It, it is that, look, I enjoyed this episode. It was, a, it was a perfectly reasonable piece of television to lay back on the couch and watch. But as I think our discussion has shown, this was a very brittle episode. As I said at the start, this is not a plot that I look back on and can start to tear it apart. This is a plot, plot that was so thin and so brittle that it was falling apart in front of my eyes as I watched it. Mm. If I had wanted to come on and absolutely tear this plot apart, I would not have had to push very hard to do that. Um, I didn't want to do that because I did enjoy the episode. It, it didn't blow me away. It wasn't great. It's not a classic. It's not what I'm going to watch again and again. But it was fun. It was fine. But so, so brittle. Yeah, and look, as I said at the, the start, for me, the story on the whole hung together and had great moments. But as I said, it didn't feel as big as epic as it could have been. And I, I do have quibbles, which I think I've enunciated rather well over this podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. So, Rob, your word of the week. My word of the week, Dave, was dyke. Yes. And <laughs> I feel that Chibnall has stuck his finger in the dike here mm-hmm. and and stopped a disaster waiting to happen from the end of the last series. To me, this was, you know, it was perfectly fine TV. It wasn't great, wasn't amazing. It was perfectly fine. It's it's a holiday specialty kind of thing. You know, it was perfectly fine Doctor Who in that regard. You know, we'll get back into the real swing of things in the next series. The question in my head is, does this finger in the dike hold over for the next series? Or does he pull his finger out again? Or or does the dike break? <laughs> you know, as we sit here today, for me, things are fine. 
in the in the state of Doctor Who. And we've even had news that John Bishop is coming in as a new companion next series. So I'm feeling okay with Doctor Who at the moment, even if this wasn't a great episode. Rob, can I ask you a question inspired by your question? Sure. Do you think that this is the episode that Chibnall expected to write at the time he finished writing The Timeless Child? There are, there are two answers to that. The one is the one I think you're driving at, but but technically I think he would have had to have had it in play at the same time he was writing The Timeless Child because I think they filmed this not long after. Yeah, look, perhaps you're right, but as I think you can understand where I'm going... Yes. There are a number of things that happened in The Timeless Child that got dismissed very quickly in here, particularly the prison plot, which just... The more I think about it, the more I just don't get why the Doctor had to be in prison I, I just don't understand what that move was about. Um, maybe it's going to be picked up in Series 3. Maybe a part of Series 3 is going to be that the Doctor is on the run from the Jadoon and they're trying to get it back to prison. I don't know. But I wonder if there are a couple of things that Chibnall thought he was going to pursue and either because he changed his mind or because of fan reaction or, or something perhaps dropped. Or could it just be, you know, sometimes writers like to build a bit of space into things and not have everything follow the last thing? You know, is it interesting that there's this 10 months where the three companions are on Earth and maybe you could write a a story about that or hark back to something that happened in that time period? Ditto for the Doctor. Could she, in the new series, tell a story about something that happened in jail? And there's a flashback to that, or at least the story gets told. And it's believable because she was there for so long. You know, is is it just maybe just artificially building some time in? This is this is the glass half full version of your glass half empty version. Yeah, no, you could absolutely be right. And and the one thing it did do was it gave the companions ten months on Earth to basically for for Ryan and Graham to decide they wanted to, to move on. Um, mm. Perhaps it's going to play in the character relationship between the Doctor and Yaz from here. I don't know, but but you know, the Doctor spent ten months or so in Planet of the Spiders before he got back from Metabenus 3 to see Sarah the Brigadier and and, and die. Um, Mm. You know, you don't need to put the Doctor in prison to do it. Um, Perhaps it was just so that Captain Jack could break her out. I don't know. Again, I know we're getting towards sort of, you know, the end of our episode, but the Siberium and the Jack's advice, they really put a lampshade on that just being a complete waste of time, didn't they? I mean, it got a line, but it didn't sort of resolve anything. No, it's like, you you remember to do this, it's really important. Yeah, no, it wasn't. (laughs) Um, You know, they they really really sort of hung out that that was a bit of a a damn squib. Yeah, yeah. Would you be able to put a score out of 10 on this? Oh, look, I'll I'll, I'll go for my standard 7, which is what I give stories that I enjoyed watching but didn't think were great. I'd just, just... fun, straightforward, easy, kind of forgettable TV. So, a seven. I'm on seven and a half. Okay. Hmm. Pretty close. Yeah, pretty close. Look, like a lot of specials, it's not going to be one I'm going to come back to. I'm more interested in seeing where the series goes now. Absolutely. And I guess we're oh, probably about ten months off that now, so we've got time, <laughs> time we, to we reflect. Have, we have. I think this is going to actually prove to be a nice dose of Doctor Who in the middle of an 18-month break, which is a good thing. Absolutely. And look, until you hear from Dave again with the guys from 42 to Doomsday at the end of January in yes, our monthly episode. where we're discussing conventions. Very cool. Uh, or me doing uh, primary sources uh, mid-month. Or, or look, our Mandalorian episode dropped on uh, New Year's Eve, Dave. I'm not sure everyone's heard that yet. That's out there. Yes, no, that was a good fun conversation. 
or uh, whether you come back in 10 months time to hear our hot takes on the next series of Doctor Who. Uh, I've been Rob. And I've been Dave. We'll see you next time. Goodbye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to The Doctor Who Show, the podcast where too much Doctor Who is barely enough. Subscribe to us on iTunes or listen through the website at www.thedwshow.net. Write to us at hello at thedwshow.net or send us a quickie on Twitter at thedwshow. Facebook.com forward slash thedwshow is also a good place to find us if you're so inclined. Our version of the Doctor Who theme arranged by George Locke. Look him up on YouTube, folks. This podcast is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. Doctor Who, all names and sounds, and any other related items are trademarks and or copyrights of the BBC. All other trademarks and trade names are properties of their respective owners. The official Doctor Who website can be found at www.bbc.co.uk forward slash Doctor Who.